When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Linktree. The thing we all use in our bios, an Aussie unicorn startup has come to sit down with me for The Mentor and what a success story they are. Brothers Alex and Anthony Zakaria, along with their business partner, Nick Humphreys, found a solution that centralizes creators' biggest headache on the internet, fragmentation of audience and therefore revenue capabilities. Linktree is the link in bio category creator that enables users to create a streamlined online identity to showcase and commercialize their profile. This is for creators, brands, artists, publishers, agencies, and businesses, you name it, even me, to curate an online ecosystem, engage with their audience, and monetize their passion. And get this, the platform is utilized by more than 24 million brands globally, including TikTok, Selena Gomez, Red Bull, The Rock, and of course, as I said earlier, myself. So we're talking a big organization here with great distribution, great reach. These guys are the pinnacle of Australian entrepreneurship. Regular guys running with an idea that they truly believed in. So let's get into it. Anthony Zacharia and Ali Zacharia, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Fly from Melbourne. Yeah. I'm dying to know where you're staying because I, I just come back from Adelaide and, man, I stay this place. It was a good joint inside, but it was fucked outside. It was like <laughs> I went outside. Like I tell you, I tell, can I just quickly tell you what happened? So like I get up really early, right? So I, I wake up uh, Saturday morning, like it's messed up the right joint. was good inside, bed was nice, all clean. I go down and it says there's no one around. Like, you know, I say there's like this time is about quarter past six. I eventually got the night order or whatever the hell you call him. I said, hey, dude, uh, you want to get a cup of coffee? Chance of getting a cup of coffee in the restaurant or something? No, our restaurant doesn't open at 7.30. I said, oh, okay. Fuck seven thirty. Who gets up? Seven? Anyway, he goes. Uh, go outside, turn left, and uh, you'll find a cup of coffee. There's lots of coffee shops down there. So I walk outside, turn left. There's people still coming home from the night out. You know, off their fucking head. There, I was, and there's joints like massage this, massage that, mass like every twenty meters. And uh, and I was getting a bit nervous. Someone might get a camera on me and film me. But and then eventually I ended up at McDonald's, and there's some old lady in there who's sort of crying that she just got assaulted, and the police is there. I thought, what the fuck? So I'm dying to know: Does everyone else have to put up with this shit? I mean, where are you guys staying? Don't <laughs> <laughs> the name of the job. We're the opposite. We're the opposite. It's it's still outside and it's nice. There's enough going on, but just inside, I think when it first. Whenever it first opened a few years back, as you know, taking over this guest house, it's a nice renovated boutique hotel and whatever. But I think they kind of hit pause on shit post or pre-COVID. And then you kind of now that people are traveling again, they've just picked back up. We haven't really done much since. We got in the other night 
Alex texts me, he's like, do you have this dank mold smell in your room? Like, <laughs> kind of, or like it's been repainted, they've tried to cover it up. Five minutes later, don't worry, I spoke to reception, got an upgrade. And he sends me photos of this ball of upgrade suite that he moved into. Like, fuck it out. Did you didn't get your brother sorted away? Nah. Nah. He's fine. Do your best. He's used to that moldy smell. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not the, usually one to complain, but I was like, nah, this is a bit too dank. And she kind of like pretended to not know about it, but she knew. Didn't take long to say, I'll give you an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, she was like, oh, she's like, oh, lucky for you, the only other room in the, in the whole building tonight is like a really nice house. That's nice bullshit because I, I didn't like, see anybody else in the hotel. <laughs> Neither. Okay, we're not here to talk about it. We're here to talk about you two guys. So who's the older brother? Guess. You don't even look like brothers. <laughs> <laughs> That's new. Well, you're fair. Alex is sort of fairly, you've got blonde hair yeah. and, uh, you know, light-coloured beard. You've got a different shape. Um, you're more, <laughs> you're more solid. That's, that's one way to put it. Going and he's slim and he's dark. Um, he could be uh, a Greek boy, a Jewish boy. You could be from Northern Europe, so uh, Northern. I, so I can't tell. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. You could be a Northern boy, so I can't really tell. Well, they got a bit of a sallow colour, so that could be it brings you back down south. But yeah. I can't really get mad around it. So maybe you're the youngest. Yeah, Alex. Great. I mean, the fact that you even have to ask is not good news for me. For me, I've I been think. polite. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, Anthony's six years older than me. Six years older than yeah. Oh wow, that's, that's a big difference. Yep. So and you know, what's he's the kept, somehow kept his hair? And <laughs> he's, he's I look, haven't. He's look, looking very fine. Yeah. I mean, and how how's the family set up? Like brothers, sisters, what's the deal? So I'm the youngest. Uh, then there's a sister ahead, three years ahead of me, and Anthony, uh, and then we've got an older brother. Uh, who's in his, yeah, yeah, six, yeah <laughs> six years older than Anthony. Oh, so there's a big gap between all of you, like 12, 13 years or something. Yeah. So you're an Italian family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mum and dad started early. Were they born in Italy or? Dad was born in Italy, mum was born here. Two Italian parents were born in Italy that right. migrated over and started their family here. I think mum and dad got married, mum was maybe 20 and had Michael at 21. So Old school. Yeah, yeah, straight into it soon as soon as, I think by the time, yeah, she was 30. 34, 35, she'd already had four kids. That's old school. It's sort terrifying. Of like, it is terrifying. What's well, terrifying <laughs> you two? You guys married? What's going on? I am. I've got uh, 20-month-old twins and they're great. They're not yet. I am not married. So what's the deal with the two of you? Like uh, give me a bit of background here. So let me just start with you, Alex. I'll start with the younger one. Yeah, so even when I was at school, year 10, 11, 12, I was kind of just looking for things to do. I was running parties and I was – Running parties means – I was like doing, you know, the, the high school after parties. Uh, I was organizing them even when I was in year 10. I was doing like the year 11 and 12s. As a parson or making a buck out of it? Uh, to make a buck out of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's doing pretty well back then. That was that was fun times. Um, was You're a- not the guy who organized a party up back in my joint. Like I remember one time waking up one night about two or three in the morning, I could hear this doof, 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 doof. And I went out and I thought, and it was just, just like maybe five, 600 people there. How they got their le- power down, electricity down there, I don't know. But there was some mad party getting organised. There, there was hundreds of people there, the young people. You know what to do to do that sort of stuff, were you? I may or may not have been <laughs> <laughs> the guy doing that kind of stuff in Melbourne. Um, but, look, we were then underage. So it was all, it was all um, to the letter of the law. Uh, and we – but, yeah, so I was kind of doing that to, to make a buck. got to the point where I was doing like three or four every weekend. And I was doing like – I was, started buying the audio equipment and then renting it out to – I did this whole thing where I like bought all this audio equipment and then 
sent a letter to all the school captains of every school as a way to hire their audio equipment for their formals, which was really just a, fi- a way to find out when their formals were so I could then talk to them about running their after party. So I was doing that kind of stuff at school. And then I went uh, to university to do entrepreneurship, disliked it. In Melbourne? In Melbourne, disliked it very much, left within the first semester, uh, went and worked with our parents. Uh, so they import uh, musical instruments. They had a music retail store growing up. So we spent a lot of time around the music industry um, in that store growing up. And at this point they were running a wholesale music business. Uh, so we kind of, Anthony was, uh, had just, uh, he had finished uni, he was working there as well. And so we were kind of operating and just like running, starting to run new ventures for them, kind of modernizing the business a little bit, um, starting some new product lines, that kind of thing. Uh, we started, we, we tried to get off the ground, like a, um, a vending machine business to sell music consumables. So like to sell guitar strings and, drumsticks and that kind of stuff in vending machines because generally music stores have extremely low margins and they can't afford to be in shopping centers and that kind of thing. Uh, but taking a little floor space or a vending machine um, and just making music consumables a lot more readily accessible. Um, so we're working on that type of stuff for our parents. Meanwhile, still running parties and nightclubs and events uh, and started managing DJs because they started ma- meeting all these DJs that were pulling good numbers into venues. Started managing them. Um, a few of them did really well and toured Europe and did a bunch of stuff, which was heaps of fun. Uh, and yeah, meanwhile, Anthony was managing bands uh, and that's kind of where we came together. We you both were doing to, the same sort of stuff, were you? Yeah. I was had a six-year head start on Alex, so I'd, I'd finished uni. I did same he, – he did the same course as me, but, well, he got into it and then just dropped out. But I finished the entrepreneurship degree at, at RMIT. was working the family business for a bit, but then also moved up to Sydney and was working at um, – Company back then was called the Sound Alliance, which then turned into Junkie Media. So um, was working all in like media partnerships, selling selling ads essentially, all within the music space. All our clients were um, some media company, and so it was doing getting really entrenched into the music industry. Um, and did a couple of years there, and it was great. It was great working for somebody else. You kind of learnt a lot about just uh, working in teams, different hierarchies, stakeholder management, um, but ultimately knew didn't want to work for somebody else forever. Uh, I was in a couple of years there and um, realized I wanted to get into band management. I love the, th- the thought of taking something from something small into something bigger, which is sort of what I was doing as a salesperson was growing relationships, turning an account from spending a couple of grand to spending a couple hundred grand. Um, I love the idea of taking a band from nothing into a, a big business entity. And so um yeah, I left there and just started doing some consulting work with some digital marketing agencies and started managing a couple of bands. And Alex was doing the same thing with DJs. I'm like, why? Let's just do this together. Let's just make it a management company. Where, where did this love of music, bands, you know, people management in that industry sort of come from? Like, was it your parents watching them? Yeah. I think ultimately we – parents had a wholesale music business and a lot of the work we were doing there was dealing with artists and getting artists endorsed with the products we were, we were bringing in. Um but also our grandfather, so mum's dad was an immigrant. He came out in the 30s from Italy and he built a, a musical instrument business as well and he was very entrepreneurial. He was started off um, back then would have been a version of the trading post, you know, classifieds. Yep. Someone was selling a broken guitar or a mandolin or whatever. He'd go around, buy it off him, fix it up, resell it and 
built a business from there. He had a, um, a store in North Melbourne. There was, would have been an early version then of like a Harvey Norman, you know, TVs came out. Oh, I'm selling TVs, selling electrical goods, washing machines, white goods, and musical instruments. It was all kind of all in one. And in the store? Yeah. Yeah. So and like, through a trading post style. No, so this, this is post all the trading post right. stuff as he sort of built up, you know, and then really focused on music and was selling. He had, um, he had an amplifier brand. He and his business partner, his brother, was were um, making and selling amplifiers. They had a record label back then in, in North Melbourne and Carlton, a lot of Italian immigrants. And so he would import a whole bunch of Italian folk music running as a record label. He had a radio show, so he would play the music on his radio show. Then everyone would come to the store to buy the records and he was just playing on the show the next day. Um, and, he, yeah, he built a he built a wholesale business um, importing and selling musical instruments as well. Did you actually see that? We saw it probably more through stories we would hear from people. So we he was a really big in, inspiration for us um his his dedication to family but also his dedication to his work and he had balanced them both well but so he'd go through stories he'd meet people like oh your grandfather he's such a lovely gentleman he did this for me he gave me this first job or he gave me my first guitar or whatever it was and that helped me do x or y and so he had these stories of like the community that he built around him and the the store that he had what i'm feeling is your um, the guy who sits there and might tinker and play and uh, muck around with stuff and uh, you're trying to think, this is you, Alex, trying to think, how can I make a quid out of this? Um, <laughs> that's sort of what I'm getting here. I tinked around for a bit and then realised I don't want to be on the stage, I want to be behind the stage. Yeah. Yeah, growing up, Non-Nor still had the store. We'd spend some time there. Amazing that he came here with nothing and like what we really saw of him was he had this, had built an empire really where we spent time in his, like, in his warehouse or in his shop and hear all these stories about him at the same time our parents were running a musical instrument store uh in Baldwin uh, and so after primary school I'd get picked up and then go to, we'd be brought to the store until mum and dad could close the store at 5 36 and so we'd spend you know we'd be given jobs like go polish guitars or go do some odd jobs but just be spending so much time around that and you are hearing music all day you're hearing people talk about it but you're also hearing salespeople try and sell things and our dad was a luthier so he he would he'd be actually uh, fixing violins. Um, so I'd go watch him use these like really specific tools that he made himself to be able to like fix these really intricate details on violins and cello. Um, and so that was always fascinating. And you'd like, you know, I'd go heat the candle wax for him and that kind of stuff. I think, think you're just kind of like surrounded by it um, to the point now where like that's nostalgia for me. Like if I walk into a music store now, I get brought the smell. They, they, the smell of walking to a guitar store, yeah. I like feel like I'm at home. It's fascinating. Um, I think also the musicians that were coming into the store, they, they were you know, people like, they're either just obviously like students or people buying their first guitar, but there were, you know, famous music that would come in and that Michael, um, our older brother who was running the store with mum and dad, he built a lot of relationships with, with you know, famous guitarists and musicians. Um, so you know, guys like Chris Cheney from The Living End or the Grinspoon Band guys or like, all these, you know, talking like 2000s there when, and so you see these guys coming in and you're hearing them talk about why they want a certain guitar, what sound it, this guitar gives them for their record. And then you seeing them playing that on stage. You're just kind of seeing this whole journey of like, it wasn't a thing of stardom, which is like, this is cool. These guys are like so passionate about their craft. And then you see them playing on stage to thousands of people. There's a, just the passion yeah. there. Cause I think there was that element of it, right. Where we would go to, to the festivals because these people would give us tickets and you're just surrounded by that energy. Um, and so the music, the actual instrument side of the sales part of it is one side of the industry. It's a little bit more, you know, corp, it's like 
less glamorous than it may seem. And then when you're in the actual thick of it, when you're at a festival, you're side of stage or you're seeing that energy and crowds of people, it's a whole different world. And I think we both wanted to be on that side of it with actual band management and building businesses out of bands rather than on the actual musical instrument side. Yeah, of it. Yeah. it definitely built our love of the the world of music in general. Is that because sort of when you're young, you get a, easily get more attracted to the glamour? I mean, you didn't necessarily want to be in the weeds. Yeah, like I think we got to see the whole cycle, right? And I think also probably what we saw thinking about it now is like doing those endorsement deals with the band or getting a famous musician to use a product that you had imported and then seeing the sales of it spike after they've used it and actually mapping that. You can see how impactful what modern-day influencer marketing would be or actually product placement and that, that kind of thing where you're seeing people use something and then crowds enjoying it. That's a sort of retrospective view, yeah. just like sitting here today. So you, yeah. you guys both saying that um, at the end of the day, your experiences of all the things you were exposed to allowed you to see the sort of the big picture. Because if you sit it behind a desk in at the back room with an instrument or two you made yourself and you're mm. fixing up some string or something on a violin, you can sort of easily get caught up in the weeds and stay there. I think I remember on my 10th birthday he uh, brought me into his – yeah, under his house he had built like this cellar where he made his own wine <laughs> um, and his own salami and everything under there. And then he also had this wood workshop. Um, but he had a bunch of machines there that I'd never seen before and he'd like prototyped and built himself this machine that would put frets uh, on fingerboards or like with it as a machine. So previous to that guitar manufacturers were like, put in frets, which are the little metal bits along the fingerboard on the guitar, one by one. And he built this thing that will automatically go and like cut the frets to shape and put them in the right places because they're not evenly spaced. And he was explaining it all to me. And for some reason that moment kind of stuck in my mind as like the kind of moment where I realized how cool my nonna was, I think. <laughs> yeah. Like he had built these, like this business, he built this massive hand, he built this massive house by himself. He built, you know, he managed to get to a point where he'd, provided for his family in that way, but like he was doing this really creative and innovative work. That's kind of like a memory when I think of my non-law that I always, for, for whatever reason, we spent so much time with him growing up. Um, but yeah, remember that moment. And I think it's kind of like, yeah, it's an like innovation, but it's also just like not settling for the status quo. Like there's got to be a way, better way of doing this. Go make something to make it better. That's an interesting uh, turn of phrase you just used. There's got to be a better way. Innovation is about always seeking a better way or seeking improvement, to me anyway. What did you do after this? Yeah, so at this point we were working, we were both managing bands but also kind of helping our parents' business. Actually at that point, I don't think we've talked about this much, we started a business called Happy Hobo, which was uh, it was basically an inflatable mattress for the backseat of your car that would turn the backseat of your car into a bed to so basically like fill the footwells. Um and we'd created a brand around it um, with Nikki, who is now our business partner in Linktree. Uh, and we, yeah, we kind of just started like an early e-commerce business, uh, shipped in about 500 of them, designed them. Uh, and that was kind of like we had to build the website ourselves, figure out the branding. We had no team, didn't have much money to buy the stock. Uh, but that sold really well, figured out SEO, and it just started like selling organically off SEO. Uh, and it was around then that our we had also started our bolster uh which is our digital strategy agency and that started taking off and we kind of like ended up letting happy hobo uh go which i kind of really wish we kept it going that was a lot of fun uh, but as around the time that we had also realized that through managing 
but in managing artists, managing bands, also just being exposed to the music industry in general. And so at that point, working with a lot of promoters of festivals uh, and understanding just the way that industry works. It wasn't the industry itself or, or anyone working within the industry was not really taking advantage of uh, marketing technology in the same way that e-commerce or brands were. So things like remarketing or conversion tracking, uh, things that are very commonplace now and that are relatively simple to do, uh, were just not being used. And so festivals, for example, and record labels, were still really just throwing money at some kind of advertising and hoping it would stick. Uh, and so Anthony was consulting to a festival uh, and kind of realised this. And I, at the time, was just like, I was just a bit of a nerd playing around with Google Analytics and and like spreadsheets. I kind of, you know, in my spare time, I'd be figuring out formulas on spreadsheets for some reason over gaming but also never taught myself to code. What an idiot. Uh, and so I just figured there was a, you know, we got, we kind of looked at it and figured there was a better way that we could actually figure out a way to, to have this industry utilize this type of marketing technology and improve the efficiency and get tickets sold way more cheaply. Uh, and so that was kind of us digging in. We went, we went to a major festival convinced that we knew what we we're doing. We did. We, we knew what we were doing. You, to the promoters, you mean? Yeah. To the yeah, promoters. Yeah. They gave us some money to spend their their marketing. You pitched to them, though. Yeah. So there's a few challenges in music that don't really exist in other industries. So the first one is generally you end up on a festival website or a, some you know musical website, whatever it might be, and that website does the job of selling the product to you, selling the festival to you. But they never own the full funnel. So when you go to buy a ticket, you end up on Ticketmaster or TickTech. Yeah? Yep. You've never actually owned the full domain, the full funnel all the way through. And so that was the first challenge. No one could figure out how to like connect those domains and actually have the, the tracking all the way through. The other challenge with selling tickets is it's never a personal decision. It's more of a group decision. So you buy a pair of shoes, you decide yourself that you want those pair of shoes and you buy them. When you're going to a festival or to a show, you're generally talking to a bunch of mates or talking to some other people like, do you want to go to this? And it's a bit of a group buying decision. And so thinking about it in a broader context on how do we help people convince their friends this is something good to go to how do we um tr improve the conversion tracking how do we actually do remarketing when you don't own the whole funnel uh, and so we kind of connected the dots there and pieced it all, all together uh worked with a lot of ticketing companies to actually in, in, uh, implement all the tracking technology that was available at the time and you know for that festival we improved their cost customer acquisition by thousands of percent <laughs> like thousands yeah like it was you know a while like actually firstly tracking it at all but you know when we're getting tickets sold for 0.05 cents kind of thing that was when google search was significantly cheaper and facebook marketing was significantly cheaper so yeah that was kind of like the impetus of like we can we can really make a business out of this and just specialize all we do is digital strategy for music we understand music we understand marketing and so in that first year we grew to 15 or 16 people uh and just yeah worked with record labels festivals artists um rolling out the same kind of tech. And where'd the name come from? Came when we were figuring out a name for the management business. And it was, we we're like, what's a, what we needed to like, it was like June 29. Our accountant was like, you need a name. We're going to register it for July 1. I'm like, ah, oh. I think you came up with it. We're like, what's something that talks about being supportive, nurturing. And it was like bolster, like you're, you're bolstering someone up. Like, cool, that'll do. Just sign off and let's go. Done. And just stuck. And then we're like, well, this is the same concept as what we're doing for the, our clients. Because the the teams that I was consulting to, promoters, and this was a, across the whole spectrum, um, 
music, often in music marketing, the teams internally are so stretched. You're not just a digital marketer. You're not just a publicist. You're all rounder. You have to do all parts of the marketing journey. And as digital marketing became more and more important and digital marketing tech to Alex's point with retargeting and stuff is becoming more and more um, available. Having to go deep on all that stuff was really challenging for people and nobody understanding how to connect all those dots. And so we built ourselves as that plug-in digital specialist to the marketing teams at promoters and labels and artist teams to go, we understand this journey, we understand the market, we know how to sell tickets, get conversions, get your audience either buy or listen to your record or buy a ticket or whatever. And so it was the same concept, like we're, we're a bolster to your team. We're going to lift you guys up and help um, take you on that journey. And we kept adding more services from that. It started as digital marketing, performance marketing, adding social media, adding content, adding website building um, because we realized we're driving traffic to these websites that often weren't optimized yeah. to convert people. I'm like, well, well, and so our clients were like, hey, can you guys build us a website? We're like, Or update us. Yeah, we're like, yes, we can build your website. How do we build a website? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, sure, let's figure out how to do that. Do that. Yeah, you're saying that you sort of build it on the run. We knew we wanted to be the best digital marketing agency for the entertainment space in Australia. Um, but it was definitely built on the run. It was like we saw a problem, we saw a gap where this need wasn't being serviced and marketing, digital marketing or in that space was underserviced because you go to you go to a media agency, they're not going to touch you. If you've got a $5,000 budget, they're not going to touch you. Yeah. So it's like, well, this is on the marketing managers who are already under-resourced to figure out where well, I'm going to put, oh, I'll just put a thousand bucks online and see what happens. There's no way of tracking that to Alex's point. Like, well, I don't know if it worked. And so like there's an opportunity there. We went after that opportunity and then yeah. we then we kept adding services because we knew that the clients needed the same offering. How many years ago were we doing that? 2015. 2015, so yeah. six, seven years ago. Yeah. This was like the other thing, like to Anthony's point, like what would happen with festivals was there. it was so cyclical. So during the year, they're a tiny team. There's three or four people that work there. And then when they're coming into cycle, they also need to blow up and that tiny team can't do everything. And so they generally are looking for plug-in teams. And what we kind of, what we always really believed in was this idea of just being absolute niche understanding the space so well, which we obviously knew from a marketing and broader industry perspective. But in terms of the way marketing teams needed to work or the way their budgets worked, our everything down to our pricing and the way everything we built from a structure and process perspective was built to service the music industry and the way that worked. So a touring promoter, for example, will have, uh, they'll make most of their money on massive stadium tours. The, the economies of scale, uh, the scale so much so that like generally if they put on a little club show, 200 people, they're generally losing money, but it's to build the brand of that artist, build a relationship with that artist and then take them all the way through to the point where they're running, playing stadiums in Australia. And so we scaled out our pricing model that way as well. We lost money doing a club show for them, but we could charge way more on the stadium shows for them and we make way more margin on the stadium shows. And so that plugged into their business model and just made it a no-brainer for them to use us. They could look at this t- pricing table and go, okay, a show with five, a show at a 500-cap venue will cost us X and they could just build that into their, their P&Ls or build that into their budgets and we could just scale that with touring companies. If you went to, If they went to a media company, a media agency, there's no way that would work. Um, and it got to the point where we built it in a way that generally media agency would run on 20% of the spend. We built it in a way that because we we're so such experts at this exact space and we knew exactly how to make this marketing spend so efficient that actually our, our fees ended up being 200% of the media spend, but we could make that media spend 
so efficient that it made sense. Uh, and so it would it would have been impossible to run an agency on the types of budgets we were getting. You know, some touring, like what corporate or big brands would spend on a campaign to get a particular same set of eyeballs, a music industry would spend a tenth. Um, normally, so, normally. Normally. So like, a, you know, budgets are like sometimes $5,000. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and so we kind of just built a whole a- a- agency around that kind of model and it scaled to you know, 70 or 80 people by the time the pandemic hit. Let's go to the break and it comes straight back. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm back here with uh, Anthony and Alex Zacharia, and we've just gone. Like, it's been a major journey for you to be. I mean, it's only been a few years, relatively speaking, in my world anyway. It's only been like six, seven years, type of thing. Um, and you know, you set up a digital agency, but uh, I think which is pretty right what you're saying. Most of the mainstream agencies they call themselves digital agencies, huh? but they're not really. And what you've done, you did something specific for the music industry, like you really drill down to what what's necessary. But how did that become? Linktree. I mean, you build websites, you're doing all sorts of things with people, stuff you didn't really know how to do, but you worked it out. <laughs> uh, a bit like, by the way, it's a bit like your, your grandfather, your nonna, and your dad. You started making uh, tools for your industry. Take me forward now to Linktree. So we'd done a similar thing. Client said, Can you build a website? We said, Yes. We scurried and hired a developer um, who also came out of the uh, music industry uh, who we knew. And so, Built that website, had made enough margin on that just to be able to keep him on for maybe like another couple of months <laughs> to be able to, to afford to like continue paying him for another couple of months. At this point, we had created a, a creative side of the agency. So Nikki, who was, uh, he's now our business, our partner in, in Linktree, he was in Europe doing the Australian in Europe uh, thing, pouring coffees and working at a design agency. He's a designer. Um, and we called him and said, hey, you know, stop making no money there and come make no money with us and <laughs> worked twice the hours. Have coffee with um, us. <laughs> and he was like, all right. So we came, uh, we started the creative side of the agency and brought him in um, as a partner, um, mainly because we couldn't afford to pay him. Uh, and But we just knew how awesome he was. And so he designed the website. We'd hired a developer. We had just enough money to keep paying him and um, had a little bit of time. We didn't have any other websites sold just yet. And so we're still managing artists and there was a few things that happened. So we're working with uh, festivals and artists and record labels that 
they have a lot of different revenue streams, right? So the music industry is extremely fragmented uh, and the, the, the value, there's a lot of different people on the value chain. And so what I mean by that is a artist will have their touring revenue come in from um, tickets. So they'll have, yeah, their touring revenue that's managed by an agent uh, and generally they're selling tickets on multiple different platforms to their shows. They've got their streaming or their music sales managed by a record label and that's on a b- bunch of different platforms. And then you've got your merch that's on your web store that's managed by your manager that's on a di- bunch of different platforms. Uh, and so to be able to consolidate all these revenue streams was really difficult, especially in social that was blowing up. In Instagram, you could only add one link in your Instagram bio and in, in many other platforms, you could only add one link as well. And so to link to all your different revenue streams was impossible. Uh, and so that was kind of the first insight. We really need to solve this for our clients. It was also that we're managing this artist that was producing a lot of different content, probably a new video every day and you kind of cover every day kind of thing to, to build an audience. And we'd have to go into his Instagram bio and change that link like every day. And that got frustrating. It's got to be a better way. It's got to be a better way. And so there was also Instagram had changed from a chronological feed to an algorithmic feed. And so what ended up happening is someone in a feed, in a post said, hey, check out, the, check out the link in my bio. You may have discovered that post that was three or four days later after the post was actually made. Uh, and so the link in bio in their profile is no longer relevant. And so all these challenges we, needed, we came up with, you know, I woke up one morning and said, isn't it easier just to have one link in your bio and then from a separate app, you can just control all the links, schedule them, track your analytics, all that kind of thing. Uh, and so we spoke to Nick and, and Mike, the developer, and built a prototype that day in about six hours, um, which is just a very simplified version of what you see now, obviously, but it's kind of just a quick proof of concept. Uh, gave it to some artists that we're working with. People started signing up almost immediately. It was this solving a real problem that we saw we were the users of that we needed to solve for ourselves and for our clients. And it was very focused with this idea of music in mind. Uh, but it turned out that many other industries and, and different uh, categories also needed the help uh, and needed to solve this problem. I, I think it. so after we realized it wasn't going to scale that, that really shonky kind of prototype we put together. And so a few weeks later we rebuilt it properly. But one of the first signups was the Melbourne City Council. Obviously, extremely different to music. And apart, think, apart from the music industry, people. Yeah, 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 correct. Yeah, so like I started, you know, signing up those bands and artists and create and 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 festivals. Uh, but yeah, Melbourne City Council was in the first ten or twenty signups, and that was obviously a very different use case. And I think that's what what was one of the first kind of clicks that this is not just a music solution. It's not just a fragmentation of the music industry; it's fragmentation of the internet as a whole. Everyone, where your business, you're a creative, a solopreneur, a small business, whatever, you yourself, your stuff lives everywhere. What you're trying to drive people to, where it's and websites weren't serving that purpose anymore. And so, I think there's research we've found that there's on average like 8.4 social media accounts per person or per business. So that alone, you're driving different types of content to different locations. There's your audience is all over the place, and we need to pl- realize there's a, a lot of people realize that we need to unify that into one simple place. Two things that came out that's very interesting to me is one, the recognition of talent is an important piece to your success. Um, it like uh, you know, and obviously he was happy to come across as well. Like you know, he was sort of seduced into coming working yeah. for nothing, but but at the same time, recognition of talent is really important. A mainstay of a good entrepreneur being able to recognize talent and being able to place them in the team sort of say that individual fits well there. yeah. Um, but I, I think the other p- piece that I find quite fascinating is um, 
the aggregation piece, um, you know, obviously the talent builds these things or the creative talent puts a creative around, then you get your developer to build it, like in a technical sense. But the aggregation of people or, or the aggregation of, re- in your case, revenue streams. You build a funnel from Instagram, for example, through an aggregation platform to lots of different pieces of revenue or lots of different places that revenue might arise from. It's a tool. It's like your dad and your grandfather, like building tools to fix a problem. I mean, and that's sort of what you did, tinkering with something and, and coming up with a solution. You had a problem, you solved it. You know what? I think I enjoyed doing things like this because it's a moment to stop and reflect. I think that the pace at which we operate at the moment and how fast Linktree is scaling, you kind of don't, you don't really get a moment to sit and reflect and go, where did this come from or why did we do this? Um, you kind of just, building and doing everything as rapidly as you can. So, yeah, I don't think I personally have joined the dots there before. I always find it very interesting why people go into an industry. and It's not what we're taught. It's what we see. It's not what someone says to us. Um, it's not what we learn at university. We get stuff out of university, don't get me wrong. But university, generally speaking, just um, panders to the characteristics we already have. So, you know, you're always uh, – we're going to be entrepreneurs. When it comes to being successful as an entrepreneur – it's what you saw growing up. That's a skill. And then you take that skill into a different industry or a different business or a different format. You have built a really useful tool to solve a problem. I think so. That's where it started, definitely. We turned it into a brand. So Linktree, where'd that name come from? So this is Nikki's genius coming out. Mm. I think I wanted to call it something really significantly, yeah, really bad. Significantly insignificant. Yeah. Significantly worse. <laughs> Way too specific. On the, yeah. yeah, I think it was like Instabio or something, which kind of read, read as Instabio. Um, but I think Nick had the foresight early on that this was going to be beyond Instagram, which it very much is now. And it's really a you know platform agnostic tool that helps you connect your entire digital ecosystem, no matter where you find your audience. And so that includes business cards and resumes and email signatures and QR codes and posters and um, as well as, you know, every other platform like LinkedIn and Twitter and Snapchat and and, and uh, TikTok. And so obviously that early name, that <laughs> silly name I came up with was not going to work for that. Well, it would have been too, um, too specific, yeah. especially if you could spell it. <laughs> yeah. And so, look, yeah, Nikki came up with that and came up with the, the, the exact logo that we currently use. He just – he designed himself in 30 minutes. Um, it's got two mouth, like two mouse cursors overlapping to make a tree um which you know <laughs> it's it's stuck there's it's a drop of genius in it though yeah 100 percent. It, it totally is and yeah and, and I, I get it that it, you can be you can apply it to all sorts of platforms i get that that makes sense tell me about the iteration process yeah so we created linktree in 2016 uh at the time there was yeah absolutely nothing like it we you know created this solution uh for our clients and it ultimately turned into this category, which is now referred to the, the Lincoln Bio category. Uh, so I think it was before the end of that year we re- rebuilt it properly and it's more or less a similar structure to what you see now, the, the live preview on the right, uh, and there's a lot of context and principles that have come out of how we originally built it, which is this idea, this feeling of liveness, that, like the, the iterations or changes you make as a user feel immediate uh, and feel really fast and... It's all about simplicity and that was from the very start. Obviously, we've iterated and changed the UI and improved things and added a lot more functionality. Uh, but, yeah, so so at this stage we're end of 2016, it's still entirely free uh, and it was very just, you know, hand-to-hand combat 
uh, talking directly to, you know, there was 10, 20 signups organically a day, but it would still at that point be able to go to every individual signup and say, why are you using this? What else do you need? Um, and generally it was within music industry. And so we had this whole big list of features that we knew that they would ultimately have, but we had this agency to run. Um, so it was very oh, much still this, the agency. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's very much this, and the agency was scaling really quickly. Uh, and so Linktree was very much a side hustle to the agency. We would, we'd run the agency till, you know, seven, eight at nine, 10 o'clock at night, go home and then be working on Linktree till two in the morning. While we're all living together. Yeah. Too. We're all living together at the time. Was it Melbourne? Melbourne. Yeah. 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 So in Abbotsford, Melbourne, we'd be living together five minutes from the office. Um, and yeah, it was kind of, you know, and obviously within the agency, we'd do some work with the developers there and the, the creatives there. Uh, but it was very, very much organic. And it was, you know, by, so by, by Feb 2017, we now built the, the pro version of it. So people were saying we wanted these features. Uh, so we built these features and realized we can monetize it. And so we put a bunch of features into a pro version so you could either use it entirely free or you could pay extra, um, pay, you could pay $6 a month and get access to things like deeper analytics and removing the Linktree logo and, and that kind of thing. That was the first iteration of it. Uh, and so started to bring in the tiny little bit of money enough to pay a developer. I remember you saying yeah. that. So we can you actually afford to keep website. him. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you had about two months worth of uh, yeah. sort of runway available. Yeah. Now, now you can actually keep him. Keep yeah. the and by the way, how did you fund it? All self-funded. All self-funded. Bootstrapped, yeah. The whole time. Yeah. Uh, up to now or? Not now. Not now. Now with venture capital. You've got a whole heap of developers. Um, you're, you're building a tech platform. Um, you're not tech guys, um, although you understood what you wanted, you knew what the outcome was. Explain to me how the architecture was put together. So I am not technical in the sense that I can't code. Yep. But I definitely have more of a technical mind where I can see the I can see how the pieces of the puzzle go together. I can understand how code works and how, you know, that kind of process. And and so generally kind of what my, if I had a superpower, that would probably be like being able to connect the dots between uh, like tech speak and business speak and and be able to kind of like work through that. So I, did, I guess that was kind of the, the, you know, we worked on it, on it that way. But Nikki, you know, we worked on it similar to how an agency would work on things, very waterfall. So it was like an idea, Nikki did the design with, our, and with consultation with our developer at the time and then he built it. Just tell me, what do you mean by the design? He designed the UI, like the this, he designed all the elements of the UI, the user interface and, and how it looks. You know, it's, again, it's advanced today, but this kind of structure of live preview on the right, links on the left, uh, the way the little icons work on the, li- on the links, uh, where the URL will be that you get your link tree address, the nav, the navigation at the top of the, the page. So Nikki designed that, him and I will talk about it. We kind of, you know, and Anthony get involved. We kind of all just as a group decide what it should look like. So and that's then, the architecture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and Mike is was a really great, what we call like a zero to one engineer, right? Like able to get something from nothing and just figure out how it should work. So so, so Mike is the developer. Developer, yeah. yeah but so and he's still with us. He, and he's a software engineer? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, you know, because in terms of putting the team together, um, it's not just a developer. You were talking about a software engineer, yeah. uh, someone with a particular talent. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like building a house. I mean, you you say, oh, I want this, that, and the other, and I want to look like this. You talk to an architect, which yeah. is sort of Nicky to some extent. Yeah. Um, he draws it up, designs it. But at the same time, you can't design something an engineer can't build. I mean, the engineer might be saying in the house, be saying, hang on, like that's not going to hold that up. Yeah. The, the, you need a bigger wall or something like that. Yeah. So 
putting this together was the ideas was amongst all of you. Um, it, what it looked like is Nikki, the designer, mm-hmm. and then then you've got a developer, a developer team um, who actually sort of go out and consult to you by saying, look, that won't work or this will work, and then, then someone goes out and builds it. Yeah, we kind of consolidated his last few steps. So Mike was able to just – he built the entire thing um, just from seeing the, the designs and knowing what the concept was. So I would talk to him and say, hey, it, when this happens, it should do this. Or when this happens or when they press this button, it should do this. And we kind of just be in a room doing it together. Um, but he's ha- always had this amazing knack to be able to uh, just from a simple design or seeing what something should look like be able to just make it work. Um, and so that's a particular skill set for sure. Not all software engineers do that. Some are incredibly good at the back-end code or, yeah, soft architecture or database, um, you know, database architecture, and some are really great at front-end. Uh, I would call Mike like a generalist. He's really he's, he's good at a lot of it and can piece it all together. Um, and so, yeah, he, you know, Ultimately, what we built that day <laughs> did not scale. We had a lot of architectural issues later on when we started getting scale, uh, but it did what we needed to do at the time, which is see the idea and see if people cared about it and um, and start to iterate on it and find ways we could grow the audience and grow users. And it only became a problem because it was a good problem to have, which was that people were using it and there was traffic and... Good reviews, plenty of demand. Why couldn't you scale it? Server architecture, the way it was... You know, we expected this to go well, not 25 million users and over a billion, 1.2 billion visits a month. Uh, well, I would say. And so, uh, you know, multiple times along the way, and especially like, actually, you know, I remember many nights being in Australia, most of our traffic would come online US time. And so servers crashing at 3am and us figuring out how to keep it alive. And, and you know, our engineers at the time, we were, bootstrapped you know we, we, we would see all right there was an extra six thousand dollars in mri monthly recurring revenue that had just cut with, that we'd built up and like okay that's enough to hire a develop an engineer and we go and then we'd wait the next six thousand go okay we can hire an engineer it was very much just thinking at looking at our revenue in the in like looking at it in engineers basically like and so every time we could we could hire another person that had another skill set that could figure out how to serve these things but a lot of the team at the time we're hiring didn't have you know, it's it's a pretty hard skill set to find in Australia. I was going to ask that you, where you knew how to Google? actually scale, or how to build software architecture or or server architecture that can deal with the type of scale that we're starting to deal with. Where do you find them? These were engineers that were um, at the time working, well, starting to hire into Linktree, but were also working on some of the agency work. And so these were people that loved music as well and understood this space, um, wanted to work in that world. Uh, Oh, here in Melbourne. And they're all in here Melbourne, in Melbourne. Yeah. They they just loved, they, you know, they got an opportunity to figure this stuff out, like this sort of scale that and engineers love to solve problems, right? And so there was this problem where <laughs> this thing was crashing a lot and they were having to figure out exactly how we like change particular, particular code to make this server more efficient or how do we scale more servers. And we'll just, you know, war room on, on video calls or in the office at 3 a.m. trying to, trying to figure that out and so terrifying and fun times. I was going to say they're terrifying <laughs> times and, and and whilst engineers do like to f- figure out solutions, how to fix things and figure out solutions, um, finding engineers with the right amount of talent can be a bit of a b- bit troublesome if you're not an engineer because you don't know how to assess the answer that, to the question you give them. You don't know if it's going to be effective or not. 
because you're not an engineer. Quite a few of those early engineers are still with us, Linktree. There is a talent pool in Australia. I think it's more and more competitive now than ever. The massive rise in a lot more tech startups, more money being invested into tech. There's people wanting engineers and wanting them in the room. Obviously, there's always the offshore solution that some people use to get started. But well, is that one you used? No, no. not all, all here. We talked about it and thought about the pros and cons and we thought, do we offshore certain parts of, of the development, you know, offshore? Um, but we never really got there. Some engineers were against it. Like, no, we want, want everybody here. Yeah, I don't think we could ever figure out the best way to- um, To manage them. At the pace we were having to operate at. It just didn't seem like a feasible way to do it. We we needed the team around solving problems together. Physically, like Physically, in the room sort of thing. Yeah, and yeah. just like owning the problem and knowing the full problem set and be able to solve the problem. We wouldn't need somebody purely just managing an offshore team yeah, full-time. Yeah. And at that point in time, it was better spent that person actually just fixing the problem rather than managing 10 developers offshore. Um, but then through all that, we kind of kept scaling the team as we were. I think we got really lucky that the first engineer we hired, he was great and could also then hire other engineers. You know, I had a good sense of what a good engineer would be or what essentially we needed to achieve. Uh, and also it came down to attitude at the time, right? Like we were doing a lot of websites for the, the music industry. And so, yeah. Very that, specific needs too. We go, hey, we're having this problem. We need a guy that can do this. I know somebody. Yeah, yeah, can yeah. We get him? And then you're like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Could, we didn't realize that. Cool. Yeah, so like he was your conduit. Here's your link tree. <laughs> so, okay, so where are we at now? We're at 24 million users around the world. Yep. A team of about 240 um, around the world, mostly in Australia, about 50 or so in the US, but majority are in, in Australia and about a few others in, you know, other countries of one or two. Growing at about 40,000 signups a day. A day. Yeah. Big five markets, US, Brazil, Indonesia, UK, India. Um, but majority US. Right. So what's the deal in terms of funding? Um, most recent round of funding, which is 110 million US uh, on a 1.3 billion valuation. Um, well done. Thank you. Awesome. So that's super exciting and really nice to, I guess, look, it's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting milestone for sure. I think it's a massive recognition of the work the whole team does. Uh, and yeah, it's been a while coming. And so... Yeah, super proud moment to kind of stop and reflect and 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 be really excited about that and and then get on with it uh, and, and put that money to work so and, and make sure we're scaling. What two for me? So like you, you raise some money, um, you, you got a really good vow. You're not getting too diluted. I hope you know your own personal wealth sort of increasing. But uh, part the, I've been through that process. It's not that important to you at the time. Um, what you're really doing is building something important. But what do you want to do with it? A few things. I think yeah, you're right. It's an amazing validation, but it's not. Talking about when we set out to build Linktree, it wasn't like, hey, we're going to set out a build a company that's worth a billion dollars. It was solving a problem. And that yeah. still continues to be the case. It's a great validation, but we haven't made it by any sense, right? There's um, still so much work to do. What we're doing is slowly building out of the linking bio category, right? So people still see us as that and we're the category creator, but this funding allows us to continue to evolve out of just being a tool that lives on social. It'll always be a core piece of, you know, a connective tissue across social will be, but what we're actually seeing is becoming a website replacement for many and we're transcending just being a social media tool. And what I mean by that is the functionality becomes a lot deeper than just linking out to a bunch of other links. So we start thinking of the integrations and the partnerships that we're doing. Those 1.2 billion visits a month, right now that's a very one-to-many relationship. You on your link tree, you're sending it to your audience and they click off from there. So you get 100,000 people coming to your link tree a month. How do you get those 100,000 people 
closer to you as the creator? How do you get a bit more of a two-way dialogue going? How do you get them to me, the user, the user, exactly. Yeah. The the creator of the link tree profile. So starting to think about some of those things there. Um, the integrations of partnerships we're doing. There's also um, a B2B business. We're used by a lot of global brands. Red Bull, for example, have 200 accounts with us. Um, how we manage those bigger brands, how they use the product in a really seamless, easy way. There's a whole B2B revenue stream that we we haven't properly turned on yet, which is another big focus for this year. Um, there's also then the actual reinvestment in our people. Like it's it's We've got 240 people. They, without them, they're the lifeblood of the business, right? So a lot of initiatives that we're rolling out um, to basically make sure that we are an employer of choice and we are a place that people want to work with and work for. So we have a remote hybrid approach. We've got people that work from home all over the world. Um, we're building a new office in Melbourne, but it's not, you have to come in there. It's building it all as a very collaborative space. It's three levels of an office building. The top floor is more of like a hospitality space, a commercial kitchen, co-working area, building a content studio like this. So for creators and for our own team to produce content. Um, and so building that approach at a global level is one thing we're doing, but flexible working policy. We have, uh, we just introduced our total rewards package. So it's not just about remuneration. We give people in their salary. It's like the whole person. So our benefits program um, is everyone gets $6,000 annually to basically spend on four areas that give them to make them a better person. So it's either wellness, individually, individually. So that's across things like wellness, lifestyle, impact, and growth. So wellness might be, I want to pay for this kind of a gym membership or this kind of fitness app. So rather than us going and doing a, a partnership with a gym, not everyone wants to use that. It's for personal. Some people might just want to do it at home. Might want to go whatever they can choose. Same thing with growth. Some people might want to learn about certain things in certain short courses, go away for a retreat to learn about something, they can use this money for that. Um, Some people have got families and like, you know what, I just need more childcare support. I'll use some money for that. Um, And so that's been been really, what's been actually the most um, thing I'm most proud of with rolling that out, it's not about giving people 6,000 bucks to spend on whatever. It's the stories we're starting to hear back from people about what that actually means for them. Do so you spend it for them or do they? They each get an allocation to spend it and, they, and there's a system set up to, to balance it all out. So and, the, and do they feed back to you? Yeah. So everyone's like, so yeah, feedback what they've spent it on and why. Um, you can't just go and spend it on like, you know, a night out or whatever. It's, you know, you've got to check it off, but. Oh, there are some rules. Yeah, there's rules around those four pillars of like wellness, lifestyle right, okay. and, Im- and impact. So impact being things like I'm going to buy a bike instead of buying a car or yep. donate or do um, volunteer time, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like some of the stories we're getting back are things like um, one member of staff goes, guys, thank you so much. My partner and I are about to go through the IVF journey and, you know, we're so worried about this because of the cost and all this sort of stuff, but we're able to use some of this towards that. That means so much to us. It's like, we're helping them start a family. It's like that when we heard that's like spine tingling shit. It's not just about them doing their day-to-day job for us. It's like that that's they're, they're still a person ultimately they're turning up to work. If they're not healthy in their mind and body and their family life, they're not going to do a great job. And so another another um, person came to us who is a recent graduate and joined the team and same thing. She's like, I've been so wanted to pay off my hex debt really well. I've been very conscious of it. And I realized I could use some of these to pay off my hex debt this has given me such a massive head start in my career that you guys have enabled. Thank you. So like stories like this are coming through what people are using their $6,000 for. And often people split it pretty easily, 1500 bucks across the different things, but you can kind of do whatever you want with it. So these stories that are coming through is so inspiring that that's ultimately what it's about. It's not just that we're just giving it away 
as a way to attract people to the business. That's a benefit of it, of course. It's a great employee brand benefit, but it's actually the stuff people do with it is, is most important. And when you speak to your investors, is that a good plank? Yeah, I think a lot of our, we've really focused on being the best place in the world to work, right? And so that comes down to policies like this. We've got a, a really market-leading parental leave policy as well and um, and pregnancy loss policy. These are thing, again, things, again, because we care about our people. Ultimately, it's about being an amazing place to work so we can attract the best talent in the world to work to then build the best product in the world. Uh, and so absolutely our investors see it in that way that we need to be able to build uh, and a great company and a great company is nothing without amazing people. And so we do whatever we can, obviously, in a really competitive competitive environment uh, to attract the best people. Obviously, in touch with them all the time, but it's in a lot of updates, right? We're talking about um, attrition rates or where the team's at and where we're hiring people in. And so these are all things that contribute to that. Right. So it's like, hey, this quarter is what we've rolled out on the people front. He's rolled out on the product front. He's rolled out on the marketing front. And so I think the best investors care about the real business metrics that are moving, right? So it's a metric. It's a, well, well, it's an expl- explanation it's, of It's a, a leading indicator, right? It's a, yep. it's the best people are going to build the best product that's going to move the business metrics that they care about. Yep. We're very fortunate that we had competitive rounds and we were able to choose our investors and we chose we, and, and we, we love the investors we chose and they care about the right things. They're not on us about why is it 5,000, not 6,000. They're not caring about that level of detail. They care that at the other end there's growth, there's revenue improvement, there's um, retention in our users that we're innovating, all that kind of thing to build a long-lasting, sustainable business that is scaling and they know they know us and trust us to build the company in whatever way that we need to to actually achieve that. Would you still say you're like a digital agency? Are you creators? What are you? Uh, so we've closed the agency. Well, we haven't closed the agency. We've as someone there that was there that was working in the agency has, has taken on the responsibilities of it, uh, which we're super proud uh, that we would hand that off to someone we trust and love. You know, so right now Linktree is a, a tool that helps you connect your entire digital ecosystem. But if I ask you, I mean, because I'll tell you what I think of you. I, I see you two as, as big innovators. That, that's that's what I just see you as, the innovators. I mean, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It's irrelevant to some extent. Yeah. But you're looking at innovating in just about every aspect of your business but to me. And innovation, we go and it goes straight back to your 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 grandpa and your your dad, probably mum too. But it just goes straight back to them. Innovation, innovation, the whole time. You know, since the thirties, right through to two thousand and twenty-two. You know, you got to keep keep ahead of everybody else. You got to keep coming up with a new idea, whether it's retaining staff, recruiting staff. Um, you know, making sure that you take it just from. Uh, one place and make it available to all places. Whether you're going to, if you can use Linktree to replace websites, you know, in the, for the future, that's a big deal. I mean, so, something will eventually replace websites because websites sort of like it's yeah. it's, a bit, it's a bit like Facebook, you know, it's a bit, a bit we, quiet. I mean, look, we we expect that everyone in the world with an internet connection will have a Linktree. Linktree will be your digital presence and how you show anyone who you are, your self-expression, your person, your identity and what you want to show people you use the link tree, even if you're not, you know, right now it's creators and businesses and brands and, uh, you know, we're really expanding that into people. Like how do you just show the self-expression and your whole self and the things you care about? Uh, and, you know, we're really enjoying seeing Linktree scale and expand into new territories and different people using it in different ways. Could you see a plumber using it? Yeah, absolutely. We see lots of plumbers. Can you quickly explain how a plumber would might use it? Because I mean, I, I I don't see why a plumber should have a website. 
Um, they should have a Google review page. But exactly. Yeah. A plumber is an excellent use case. We really see Linktree as well as a big part of our mission is to democratize digital presence. And what we mean by that is genuinely there's people with that have, haven't used the internet before. They're in emerging markets or they're older and they're not digital natives. And building a website is beyond them. A lot of the current website builders are beyond them both technically where it's a, there's a lot of decisions to be made and financially uh, where they're expensive per month. And to be able to democratize it where we can see someone who's never used a browser before, be able to click fill and create a digital presence in under a minute in that they literally have a, a link that is their own now, it's their own corner of the internet that they can then share with their friends or their audience and, and start to build an audience. That's really special to us. And so for us, when we see, you know, we hear stories of of people that say, I made, I sold my first book because of, of Linktree. I use it to run my business or, um, you know, the way it's being used in Ukraine right now and people on the ground being able to create and be able to tell their story or be able to share the content and resources they need to in a free and easy way. Uh, or, you know, we heard a story recently where someone in Texas, uh, there's some not so nice policies going on there around racial um, racial policy and someone was like, like their book got banned from selling and they were able to then, then go use their link tree and start a bookstore selling books through their link tree uh, where they were able to still then get revenue um, to be able to live on, right? And so these kind of stories where people will be able to actually make their next buck or make their next sale um, because we've created this platform that is so easy for them to use and so affordable for them to use, that's really special to us. And so a plumber, they, they may not be great at building websites or marketing. They know what they know and they should be good at plumbing. And so if we can reduce all the headache out of having digital digital presence, having been able to find their audience or find whoever it is that's going to book them, um, then that's we want to take that away from them, automate it as much as possible. And so a plumber will have, you know, they could they we have a form link right now. So you could have a book me. Uh, that drops down and someone can make, make an inquiry. Uh, there's a Google Maps link so you can show the areas. Uh, so it would drop down and show a map and be able to show the areas that you operate in. Um, you can have a contact details link, which so to be, here's my details, here's how you can call me. Um, link to all their other socials, so Instagram showing or TikTok, you know, showing content about plumbing, uh, you know, some pipes, whatever it might be. So yeah, I think reviews, like, better YouTube video with like, here's all the services I'm doing. Here's some other, here's some recent work I've done that you can see how good I am at whatever. Every tradie I talk to, they want to do more work, not more of the running of the business. Yeah, totally. For the most part. So like this reduces that friction and admin. I, I love the idea of digital democratization, um, the taking everywhere to everyone. And that, that's a big dream. Yeah. But that sort of takes you right out there into the disruptive territory. What you're going to be disrupting is the normal form of um, having a digital presence, which is generally speaking a website. So like if you can do something like that over time, which is presumably part of the pitch, when you raise money, you, you're sort of like it's sort of like uh, not only globalization, sort of um, world dominance, nearly in relation to. I don't, that I, I'm, yeah, I'm being funny, but at the same time, I'm being serious. Yeah, no, and and like so, democratize is a big part of our mission, and we we get a lot of we you know we love doing that. It's hard to describe it that way though, because though because we also have the pro end of the spectrum yeah, yeah. where there's massive brands. Uh, using Linktree as well as, you know, those uh, producers, you know, the producers of this podcast that will use it that obviously know what they're doing on marketing and 
um, how the internet works, right? And so it spans the whole spectrum um, and adds a lot of value to those that do know how marketing works and do know how the internet works and they're using it to actually simplify their digital presence. But that's a program. Unify everything and they're taking it that next step too because it's this hyper focus on action and conversion that converts significantly better than a website does. And so that's what they're using it for. But then the other end of the spectrum is just those people starting out and wanting to get online. And it's our job as well to take them on that journey to improve their digital presence, optimize their digital presence and take them up that spectrum as well. I love it. It was really cool to meet you and actually get to get to this point to, or to understand where you're at and, and how you got to this point. I think it's really important like to see Australian entrepreneurs like you two guys, young guys to me anyway, what you've achieved. It's brilliant to see Australians do this on a global stage. Congratulations. Anthony and Alex Zacharia, you guys should build a, a monument to your parents and grandparents. <laughs> well, actually you have. It's called Linktree. Yeah. Well done. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so very much. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. 